Uh, hey, happy Mother's Day. Um, and for those of you, by the way, that you know, maybe you don't have a child or whatever, just know that I know that this day can be painful too. So just, Jesus sees you. Uh, I just want you to know that it's just as a woman that your highest calling is just to glorify God, right? So anyway, I just wanted to say that. Um, it's kind of a cool day for a couple of reasons. One is that we're celebrating what God has been doing uh, in our little next campaign of what God is doing. And, um, and it, it's, it just turns out that today that um, Joe is with us this morning, Miss Bobby's daughter. Yeah, give her a hand, would you? And the grandson. And in 1987, a group of families made a legacy play for the kingdom on this piece of land, 1642 Lewisburg Pike. It was literally the middle of nowhere back then, and God has saw fit to make it the middle of everywhere today. And I don't know, I just, I just, it was inspiring to me. She brought a plant, and there's a photo of Miss Bobby back there at her normal spot. Uh, so if you want to just think about uh, Miss Bobby greeting you this morning, we got a photo back there. Thank you for bringing that, Joe, and know that. I don't know, man, in 30 years where Jesus will take all of us, but I believe that in 30 years from now that there will still be a group of Jesus people in here declaring God's word and uh, making a difference in the community in front of us and the world around us because of what we, you, we, not me and my wife, we are doing together. So again, if, as God is moving on your hearts, you can still do that. If even, it may just give you something to do while I'm preaching, huh? Uh, you're on your phone there. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 5? I, I wanted to share something with you um, from God's word. It's really interesting um, when you go through the Bible, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, where you end up sometimes. Uh, we're on Mother's Day. And here we are, Mark chapter 5, the story of a demoniac having demons thrown into pigs and cast over the side of a cliff, which kind of describes some of our getting kids ready for school, doesn't it? Like, I feel like this is completely appropriate. <laughs> Just running over the side and into the school bus. So anyway, um, but it is appropriate because in these next three weeks, um, we're going to talk about what it means to overcome and to defeat evil in our lives personally and in our church, in our community, in our, just our systems here. Um, and it's all going to come from this story in chapter 5 of, uh, of, of Mark. Uh, and can I just acknowledge, just, just say it out loud, this is a weird story. Like, let's just call it what it is. Jesus is casting the demons out of a guy, and they say, can I go into the pigs? Which, in fairness, bacon, like that, that, that was a bit much. That was kind of extra for Jesus to destroy 2,000 bacon machines. But, but there's a purpose for this whole thing that's happening here. <laughs> and it even ties into us personally to what God's doing in our little building situation here and what God is doing in your lives personally. Because we're looking at this as like this guy that's a demoniac who is stripped naked, bleeding, running around, chains can't bind him. And in this story is a picture, I think, not only of what's happened sometimes in the systems of our world, but even especially in addiction. Um, I've got Mike Coop, uh, Mike and Bever with us this morning from Place of Hope. And in a minute, I'm going to have Mike come join me. But I want to show you, if you read this with the lens of, uh, of addiction that this was for sure an absolute demoniac that had a demon possession that was manifest. But we, we be careful, we have to be careful because we look at this and think, well, at least I'm fully clothed and I'm not running around screaming, so I'm not that bad, right? 
Um, and that's exactly what Satan would want from us. To say that when Paul says, hey, if you've been under pride, that you can become under the influence of the enemy. If, if you, over and over again, there's the trap of Satan. There's things that happen that it, you may not be stripped naked, but there's another kind of bondage and it might not have literal chains, but there are chains in your life. They're emotional, they're, they're anxiety, they're addiction. So let's read it with that lens. And then I'm gonna have Mike join us. They went across the lake, verse one of chapter five, to the region of Gerasimus. Look, you get what you pay for. I did not go to seminary. I promise you, Mike Glenn knows how to pronounce that, but I don't. So, um, Dr. Easley would know how to say that, but I don't. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. There's the first clue in this passage. That means they used to be able to bind him. It's, it's a progression that's been happening in his life. That at one point he was this and now he's this, that there's this progression downward, not upward. Not even with the chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. If you have been around someone who is in an addiction with specifically drugs or alcohol, this begins to explain, like you see, that this is what happens to them. They didn't mean for this to be this way. They wanted, you wanted, if that's you, a freedom. I wanted, I don't want to feel this anymore, so I'm going to go do this instead. I'm going to do it my way, my kingdom come. And before long, this progression of evil starts to happen in your life. And it's not just medical. It's not just spiritual. It's this very complex thing. And if you're not careful, you'll go, okay, well, it's psychological, so I'll just go and we'll, we'll give you some treatment, we'll give you some pills. If, if you're careful, not careful, you think it's just mental, so I just go through treatment. If you're the demon under every rock, then it was going to cast the devil out of you. And evil, the Bible speaks of it way more complex than just that. So continue with me. He's now, uh, he, he, nobody can bind him anymore. And his desire for whatever that was the freedom that was, is now resulted in him being not free actually at all. He has no chains, but he's still bound, if that makes sense. When uh, he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. I love this because it's like he's calling on God's name like we would with the demon in Jesus' name. He's like trying to exercise Jesus. Unsuccessfully, I might add. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man. You impure spirit. And this conversation unfolds. What is your name? His name is Legion. Uh, in Roman culture, that would have been about 6,000. It was a legion of troops. So technically about 6,000 demons. I bring that up because what did Jesus do? He didn't call in 6,000 angels. This isn't a Thanos versus Iron Man, okay? This is, Jesus says, shut up. Be quiet. There's no war. This is an extermination, okay? Jesus has that kind of power. And he throws, and this is what I wanted to, sh this part I wanted to share this morning, and then we'll have Mike come as, as our morning unfolds here. But a large <laughs> herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us into them. And I'm going to talk in a couple weeks what I think is happening there. Nobody knows what I think maybe is it. But Jesus said, yeah, he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I bring this point up because uh, 
uh, in our culture right now, there's this idea that it's um, okay to be okay, uh, not okay, right? Uh, have you heard that before? Like, it's okay to not be okay. Um, and that's true. I want you to know that if you come to our church and you're not okay, like, that's okay. Like, nobody's here to judge you at all for that. That's one thing that's true. The danger of that is if I think, then that is now an excuse to stay not okay. Because that's not what Jesus wanted for you, to stay that way. And isn't it interesting that he would choose pigs? Because what do pigs do? They wallow in the dirt. They wallow in the mud. It's not okay. Jesus still loves you, so when I say not okay, he loves you. If you want to wallow the rest of your, if you want to wallow your way into heaven, he still loves you just as much. But you don't have to. You don't have to wallow your way into heaven. Send that demonic force of addiction of whatever it is that's got you in bondage, and we're going to talk about that. Send it into the sea. The sea spoke of what? Darkness, of the world, of the earth. Send it back where it came from. Because Jesus is going to speak to this man, to speak to these demons, and in a minute, you're going to see this guy. He is now dressed, clean, quiet. It says he's got a sound mind now, which even speaks a little bit of that even these early writers knew the difference between what demon possession was as well as mental, and those lines blur sometimes. It's not so simple as we want to make it. But what Jesus wants to do in your life, in the lives of your children, in the lives of your grandbabies, in the lives of your spouse is to quiet the storm. We talked about it last week. He wants to shut up the evil force that wants to bind you and then do what he did with this man, send you back to those that you know, to your family and to your friends and to bring them the same freedom that he brought you. Isn't that a great promise? Wow. Mike Coop, would you join us? Would you guys welcome Mike? I'm gonna tell you who he is as he's coming. Um, Mike. There is your Mike, Mike. Um, Mike Coop, if you've been around us for any length of time, uh, you might know that uh, Mike Coop is an old friend, a young friend, I'm sorry, of mine. Uh, I'm the old friend here if anybody's gotten old. Um, Mike started a ministry in uh, Columbia, Tennessee, how many years ago? We just celebrated 19 years just a couple of weeks ago. Tell (laughs) Tell us what it is that you guys do there. We're a Christ-centered alcohol and drug treatment center and homeless shelter, and we keep people as long as they need to be there, and we don't charge them any money for it. In this room right now, you're like, Darren, it's Mother's Day. For the love of God, what are you doing to me? Um, (laughs) There's not a person in this room, I would bet my uh, left arm, which I don't need as much, um, that... (laughs) In this room right now, there are those of you who need either freedom from addiction yourself or you have a child, you've got a grandbaby, you've got a nephew, you've got a niece, you've got a spouse. This is a, a, a real-life problem of, of addiction, of bondage in your life. And, it's prob- and some of you right now might be speaking to someone individually. You've got somebody in your life that maybe it's just like this. I, I can't control it anymore. Like, I don't have any chains on me, but I am bound, and I'm running around in death. And so that's why Mike is here this morning. It's why it's so appropriate for on Mother's Day to give some mamas some hope out here today that your child, uh, that your spouse, that yourself doesn't have to be this way. So you started 19 years ago. Um, I've, I came along, what, about 15 years ago? That's what we decided. I was there for the five-year anniversary, so I think we're somewhere around there. Uh, and we have lived a lot of life. <laughs> 
15 years. Wow. I mean, at that point, I was just a washed up rock and roll manager trying to do something meaningful. And I remember uh, the first time I went in and saw uh, this place and thought, this is, uh, this is just an old abandoned nursing home. There's no heat. There's no air conditioning in it. But that was actually amazing compared to what you started with. When you started, tell us what it was like, like that first year, the very first uh, client that you took on. Well, that day, we had no money in the bank, so <clears throat> God had told me to open on blind faith. <laughs> and, and you did it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, people, people can give you hope and they can give you love, but only God can give you faith. And then the faith that you have, you have to exercise by putting it into action. And so that required us to go down there with no residents, no marketing, and no money. And my wife, the last thing she asked me before I got in the car was, where do you think the clients are going to come from? And my answer was, I have no idea. But when I went home that evening, we had some. Yeah. And uh, we've had them ever since. And we've never missed a meal, not one. Wow. In those early days, um, I, I, sometimes I wish I could have been just a fly on the wall to have seen it all unfold. Because um, you're just, I mean, you're literally driving around town in, in this van, the, the druggy buggy. Um, <laughs> with, and it's just you, right? I mean, Bev is there, right? But it's like you, you're the one, like, you can't leave them by themselves. Like, what was that like? And, those first few weeks and months. We'd come up to Nashville, have meetings, whatever. And uh, I had one guy that worked for me who had a, we'll just call it a checkered past. <laughs> and he was the kind of individual that I took the clients with me and him so the clients could watch him while we were away from the facility. And then I had to park the van where I could look out the window and make sure the van was still there. So that's what the early days were like. <laughs> and it was in that climate. Here's what I love about God and his gifts, and I wrote that down, about only God can give you faith. That was really good, Coop. Um, in those early days, like you, sometimes we think we got to wait till we're ready, and then we'll, if everything is in place, then we'll start. And you remind me so much of Alex Matala in Uganda, because like, why would you wait? You just start with what you have right in front of you, and you know. And there's a gift of faith that you had in that moment that is inspiring to us. Um, when Shannon and I first met you, you know, five years in, um, one of the things that was incredible to me was that I didn't know. I mean, let me start back in this. When I was a little guy. My, my daddy in 1981 and two was addicted to prescription pain medication long before anybody knew what that meant. Uh, the, the government hospital, the, the, the veterans, they put him in a psych ward in Omaha. It literally killed him. He had, they had to resuscitate him back because they just took him off all these cold turkey. But it was uh, a church family that came around my family. That's why I'm even still here. 
why I'm here, where I am, and a faith-based organization that uh, they took my dad to. That they didn't know what was wrong with him. They just knew they had to get him out of this government hospital. In this faith-based hospital, this he still he would tell the story for years to come. This nurse, this nurse would come and pray with me every day. They figured out immediately, by the way, that it was hooked on prescription pain medication. They put him on treatment. They bathed him in the power of prayer, and he is uh, almost 70 years old and has been clean since 1981 from that. So. Um, a faith-based organization and a church working together. Do you see a pattern here? Okay. Um, what is it when you guys are, uh, the, the organization that you have right now, what you're doing, um, so let me ask you this. How many people are in there right now? How many clients do you have? We, we just broke our record. Friday we had 41 that are in there getting help. Wow. And by 41, like... What does that mean exactly? They, they have what? They've moved in? They stay there? They live there? Yeah, 24-7, 365, and they stay as long as they need to be there. There's no magic day when an alcoholic or an addict gets well. <clears throat> I'll put it this way. What happens on the 27th day that makes it okay for that person to leave on the 28th day of a 28-day program? Well, about 30 years ago, insurance companies started asking that same question. <laughs> so today, people are lucky, blessed, you know, if they're able to go into a residential place for a week or less. And then this is an extremely complex condition, and you just can't talk it out of somebody. There's no medicine to give somebody. There's no surgical procedure. It's only going to come out as it did out of the demoniac by the power of God. And it's going to take some religion that's got some power. Yeah, that's true. Um, what I love about uh, this is that um, Jesus, when he went to the side of the, the lake of the sea, it was the unclean part of the Jews didn't go there because it's unclean. It's Rome. And, it's, and Jesus not only went there, he went there and healed somebody. Like that's the kind of Jesus we serve. And you've said this before that uh, addiction, addicts are like the modern version of a leper in our, in our culture. Exactly. Nobody wants to touch them. Nobody, we don't know what to do with them, so we put them away. Or we, and some, some of that ministry you have is in downtown Nashville. You go, tell us what you do in the downtown area and how it affects what's going on in Columbia. We, because of your generosity, we have a small missions church in downtown Nashville that ministers to the homeless. We, all of our folks on Sunday morning, they get up, go to Nashville and find the homeless off the street, bring them to our church. We have a brief service and then feed them a hot meal. Also, every other Friday night, we're on the streets of Nashville passing out sack lunches rain, sleet, snow, heat, whatever. And the purpose of that is to find out who these people are. Are they mentally ill? Do they have addiction problems? Are they situational or circumstantially displaced? Or are they people who just don't want to work trying to get as much free things from the system as they possibly can? And just because there are four to 5,000 people on the streets up there every day, and you can't just throw them all into one basket and call them all this. So you gotta get to know them, find out what's going on, and then see if any of these program services and ministries 
will help them. Yeah. It's one of the great things is that there's a lot of people feeding people in downtown Nashville, but there aren't a lot of people saying, hey, but we can actually get you free from this alcohol and this drug. And um, there was one guy, I, I, I wish I could remember his name, but uh, he, after being at Place of Hope for a while, had had a heart attack. And had he have had that same... Walter. Walter, okay. Had he have been on the bench in Nashville where you found him, he would have died under that bench. But he didn't. He lived and he's, you know, got freedom and Jesus. He's, he's with Jesus now, right? He stepped into eternity. So not only did he get healed of his addiction, he is healed, healed, and with Jesus. But look, be careful to think that, well, it's only a problem for poor people and for homeless people. Because addiction knows nothing about socioeconomic boundaries. Uh, one of the first, uh, we went to the five-year anniversary of uh, Place of Hope at Nashville Recovery Church. And uh, our, our friend Marty Stewart was there. And I put his picture up because a lot of you the youngins don't know who he is. And shame on you. Like, this is Marty Stewart. Oh, Chris Stapleton. That's why he has that picture because you see he's cool because he's hanging out with Stapleton. Um, he taught Stapleton everything he knew. How about that? Um, Marty had been on the, on the news a few times. If you've lived around Nashville for a length of time in the 90s, you might remember a couple of his DUI pictures on the news. And, oh, Marty Stewart picked up. And he... Um, he was talking to a friend of his uh, from the music industry, and he had been to every rehab, it seemed like, and so he's like, I don't know what to do. And, and his friend said, well, look, I know a place. Uh, it's a bleep, bleep. It's, it's Mother's Day, so I won't say it. It's a bleep hole, uh, but it's God's bleep hole. That's a true story about his quote. And so God uh, led Marty Stewart to Place of Hope. He could have afforded, probably still could have afforded any place, he, you know, and none of those places were working. So, and keep in mind, no air conditioning. Okay, no heat, and God brought Marty Stewart to Place of Hope, and t- can you tell us a little bit about how he's doing now? Well, he has 15 years of sobriety. He's got a couple of more Grammys that he's gotten clean and sober, and uh, he's considered uh, probably the most well-known uh, historian of country music. That's true. And he's the world's biggest collector of country music memorabilia, putting together a, a museum of country music in his hometown of Philadelphia, Mississippi. Yeah. So he's probably a year or so away from the Country Music Hall of Fame, but he's using his platform uh, to tell people about Jesus and to tell people that God can deliver the alcoholic and the addict. Yeah, and he did. I mean, it's, and some of it is I'm kind of name dropping, let's be honest. But what is really, what I really wanted you to know is that there, because if you're sitting in here and you live in a really nice home and a really nice car and a really nice garage or whatever, addiction can, is still coming for you. Like it's not something you are, uh, you know, absolved of um, in the same way that you're homeless. It literally still requires the same power that Marty Stewart is the same power that was required for Walter. Yeah, and here's the thing that was important to Marty, the thing that convinced him he needed a place of hope. It's it's one thing to provide free alcohol and drug treatment to people who don't have any money, but when you provide the same thing to people who have money, the thing they instantly get and realize is you have no motive to help them other than to help them. Mm. And the most important thing in helping an alcoholic or an addict is to get them to willingly cooperate with the help. That's a true story. Mike, I got two questions for you. 
that are somewhat together. Uh, in this room, uh, this size of group, there's going to be a percentage, probably a pretty high percentage, that has got somebody in their immediate family, your spouse, your child, your daughters, your sons, who are dealing with this right now, with addiction. Uh, and just like this demoniac, they're like, I don't know what else to do. There's no restraints I can put that are fixing this. They still keep harming me. They still keep stealing from me. They still, what do I do? What, if, if it was your child, what would you do? Like, what would advice do you give us? Well, this is heartbreaking. Yesterday, I saw a commercial for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Marlo Thomas, the daughter of the founder, Danny Thomas, talked about her dad's vision to have a place that was free for children to go who had cancer. And she said when her dad started that ministry 50, 60 years ago, that one in five kids survived the cancer. One in five. Today, four out of five kids survive cancer. When I started doing alcohol and drug treatment professionally 38 years ago, one out of every 10 people who became chemically dependent recovered. That means nine out of 10 died from their chemical dependency. 38 years later, one out of 10 people who drink or use become chemically dependent and nine still die from this. We keep doing what we're doing and we keep getting what we keep getting, which is nine out of 10 people who are like this die. Place of hope, God has given us something different. The power of God is there 24 seven working in behalf. He delivers and sets people free, which means to totally take out of them the desire, the craving, the mental obsession for that experience for those substances. And instead he replaces in them, he saves them, sets them free, and gives them a desire to live for him. Now, this happens slowly over a period of time. No two people are the same. Everybody's different. And that's why there's not an assembly line or cookie cutter approach for this that's going to work. And so what do they do? Well, Mama, Mama, what do I do? Most important thing that you can do is to pray. There is nothing more powerful this, in this world, I believe, than the prayers of a mom or a grandmother. I think that's the most powerful spiritual force in this world. And by the way, that's my segue to my wife, Beverly. Beverly, would you stand up for a the second? The first lady of Place of Hope, yeah. right there. And the greatest gift she could have, all three of our daughters are right. in church with her this morning. Aww. So, hey guys. <laughs> And, it's the Coop family experience. And she is a praying mom like all of you are. And prayer is the most powerful thing. Here's what I think. Here's how powerful prayer is. When we get to heaven, the most incredible thing will to be to see how much our prayer is accomplished. And the most disappointing thing 
will realize is how little we prayed. Hmm. When my father recounts what made a difference for him, he always tells the story of this nurse that prayed with him every day. He doesn't know her name. Uh, and he, I'm sure in eternity he will. But that's, I remember you saying that, like that the one difference is, is that prayer is not something we resort to. It's something we lead with, like the power of prayer. Um, if, and then you want to intervene with folks. Okay. You want to wait till they get in trouble and then hit them with an opportunity to get some help and have that place, have that experience at your fingertips when you make that offer, that lifeline to them. Yeah. If they wanted Place of Hope to be their lifeline, how would they do that? 931-388-9406. You'll get a human being to talk to that cares and tell you what to do from there. We're getting ready to launch a new family program with two of your members here, Cassie and Luke Gray, and we'll be able to help people way before their alcoholic addict loved one is able to get the help themselves. So let's flip the script. Somebody in here is an addict. Maybe give a definition of addiction. And then what do I do if that's me? If you're wondering whether you're an addict or not, you are. <laughs> Normal people never wonder if they're addicts. That's not a normal thought. So, <laughs> I'm sorry if that broke some mother's heart in here this morning. But here's the definition of an addict. It's anybody whose drinking or drug use causes problems or trouble in one or more areas of their life. And in spite of the problems and trouble, they keep drinking and using that's an addict. Once an addict, always an addict. They're going to need help to recover. And it's chronic. Once you get it, you got it. You got to be delivered and set free. Secondly, it's going to get worse and not better. And that's why it's so important to intervene at the earliest opportunity. We, they've said for years, you got you to gotta wait till they hit bottom. And I believe that you raise the bottom up to where people are so they don't tragically crash into it at some future point. Yeah. Yeah, the, the thing about this is that it is a 100% fatal uh, condition unless you get help. Um, White-knuckling it is a terrible idea. Um, Mike, let me ask you uh, this. As a church family, we've been together for a long time. Mike spoke into my life profoundly in the early days before we were a church. Uh, he was one of about two or three men that kept poking at me. No, no, you're a pastor. I can see that. I'm like, yeah, that is crazy talk, Mike Coop. Um, but we've been in the trenches for a long time together. We've seen a lot of life. We've fought a lot of battles. Oh, man, uh, have we fought some battles. What, uh, what has our church for those that, I'm only asking this because there's a lot of people that don't know about our past and our relationship. What has Conduit Church meant to you and to Place of Hope over the years? You all are the largest source of volunteers. We help, we had 41 people in treatment on Friday. Seven full-time staff and the rest are volunteers. And you send people into the Place of Hope with professional trades, 
be mentors, to teach classes, to just buy stuff, bring stuff, put stuff up on the wall, whatever Shannon asked them to do. We've had an army of volunteers from this church. Two years ago, Darren referred to this place with less than flattering terms, <laughs> calling it a blank hole. And hey, that, I was just quoting someone. That was well, it was an accurate description, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Conduit Partners uh, were obedient to God's call on their life and spearheaded a remodeling project that began two years ago, this Memorial Day weekend, wow. and finished the third week of September and completely transformed cosmetically the place of hope. And it actually looks better than the quality of what we're able to give. So we're working furiously to try to match how good the building looks on the inside. Oh. We've had people come in and start crying, not believing that they were going to be staying in a Four Seasons property. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's hard to explain unless you saw it. I mean, well, it looks like what you would think an old abandoned nursing home would look like. Um, and for sure was haunted. Um, <laughs> like, like old. <laughs> Um, There's parts of the building that are 200 years old. They're on the National Historical Registry. Yeah, so you think I'm kidding. Um, the, the quality of the treatment was so awesome that for many, it would take them days to like, okay, actually, this building doesn't, isn't as good as the treatment that I'm getting. But I think one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody, especially if you've been living on a street in downtown Nashville, um, you've never had anything nice, never. To go to a place that you know you couldn't afford and to just feel loved, architecture is spiritual. Design is spiritual. And it can create an atmosphere of, like you said, they're crying, I've never been any place. Yeah. Um, here's some current things we've got going right now. This is the chapel that is being remodeled, or has been remodeled. You can't, you can't tell because the pictures aren't so hot, but that's, we, just, we got these as quick as we could. Um, Blinds and curtains, yeah. and I mean, it just first yeah. class. And these are just like the places we didn't get to in the full remodel. These are projects that are ongoing literally right now. This kitchen, 50,000 meals a year are served out of it. Uh, Shannon and a small army are, are remodeling it. This is the weight room uh, that is being remodeled. That is, uh, again, you're sitting around, you might as well be doing something. Right? So giving him exercise, like another gift for them. Uh, an 18-year-old in our church decided that the Lord put it on her heart to put a library in there. She raised the $5,000, and y'all have been bringing books to them. Imagine, I mean, I, we're all too busy to read, but if you're getting treatment, you've got a little bit of time on your hands. So. And, and one of the things that, that was important to me, and I've, I've been in recovery for 43 years, mm. and, and maybe the most important thing I decided to do that first year was to become a lifelong learner. And so we try to inspire and motivate every one of our folks to do that. And we teach them, literally, that a library, that books, can do anything. They can take you anywhere, introduce you to anybody or anything, and be an incredible tool what God uses in your life. Yeah, so that's just one of the
projects we've got going on right now as a church family. Mike, I wanted to make the commitment to you publicly. We've made the commitment uh, amongst our church family, but we have said that as what God is doing, expanding our, our facility here, we will not, we cannot, we must not pause or back off of the work that he's called us to do here locally or globally. Um, we just can't ask the single mom whose kids have been taken away from her and her children are, are with DCS while she's trying to get out of, out of drugs to postpone her crisis until we get our building done. So we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to continue on, and I want you to know that, that we are here for you and for your church, or your, your, church, your ministry. Uh, we love you. How can we pray for you uh, in these coming weeks and months for you and your family? Oh. Please pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, that addicts and alcoholics continue to have that stronghold, those obsessions broken off of them. And secondly, that they receive the healing and restoration that they need. And then we would ask prayers for health and for my family. So yeah. thank you. It's important for us as a church family. The government will keep throwing money at it and they'll keep throwing money but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can change people's lives. I love this because this picture and this is the picture of the gospel. Here's a man who was uh, cut and bleeding. He was naked. He was in tombs. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Jesus was cut and was bleeding, was stripped of everything of his clothes and was put in a tomb. And it's because of that that we have the power of God inside of us now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And so this man, this demon-possessed man, it says at the end of the story, he is dressed, he was clean, he was in a sound mind. And Jesus said, now go back and tell your people. Tell your, don't follow me, go back to your people. Our people are right here. We have this opportunity as a church family to expand for more people to find freedom, for more people to get that same exact freedom that Jesus has promised us and to go and tell our friends and our neighbors about it. 30% more conduit could mean 30% more freedom at Place of Hope, and that's not lost on me, so we're moving forward with that. But um, I want to pray for you. Thank you. Um, would you join me in prayer uh, for... Uh, for Mike and for Bev and, and for Place of Hope and, and for his amazing daughters who are here this morning. Jesus, thank you for your power and your provision. I have had a front row seat, Lord, to your miraculous provision over the years at Place of Hope. Uh, we've got to be a part of that and we're just super grateful. And I pray right now, Lord, for the families in here who are struggling with this very thing in their lives. Lord, give them the courage, the, the wisdom, the strength, the supernatural anointing to face this problem that the enemy has meant for harm. For place of hope into the future, these 41 that are there right now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon them in that place, that your anointing and your power would flow from within them, that they would rise up and find the freedom from the chains that have bound them to not run into tombs and into death anymore, but to run into life and bring everybody they can with them. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>